You're listening to Rosie on the House. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. We got a long way to go to get from the backyard to the farm. It's the first Saturday of the month. Talking farm fresh strawberries. If you follow our home maintenance calendar, you can you'll see that on uh, your to dos. And the point of this hour is to connect uh, Arizona residents with uh, local produce that they can get that's grown right here in Arizona, but also help educate <clears throat> uh, those that are so in, uh, inclined to start their own backyard garden. That yes, we can grow strawberries here in Arizona. And our farm fresh guest and spokeswoman. Woman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, Julie Murphy. Welcome. Hi, Romy. Yes, and in fact, I kind of like this hour too because if somebody gets inspired to do something in their own backyard, they can. And because you're covering all the topics, Romy, I think somebody might even be brave enough to s- try strawberries. And believe it or not, they grow really well here in Arizona. In fact, Arizona grows everything really well, except and- soybeans. <clears throat> We don't do soybeans. Let the Midwest do that. Or Louisiana. We're, yes. We're real good at soybeans yes. down south. And you guys are good at growing rice, too. Lots of water. Lots of water. And lots of water. Yeah. And we got water in the bayou. And we, we had a big water act, a uh, big, big uh, yes, week for week. Arizona and water this week. I'll mention a little bit later. But we could use some of your home, your, um, you know, your the state that you came from. We could take some of your water. You, you don't want the bayou water. Oh, okay. I don't no, think that'll mix well with Arizona. <laughs> we want good, clean water here for our vegetables. The, what, what we pump out of the Colorado is a lot cleaner looking than what comes out yep. of the bayou shed. Yep. <laughs> so we have a special guest to talk strawberries. Yes, Patty Emmert. She's with Duncan Family Farms, and I call her our adopted urban farmer. She's been with Duncan Family Farms for nine years. In fact, Patty, tell us your story, or at least tell us the Duncan Family Farm story. Well, first, thank you for having us on. And um, and you know, Kathleen and Arnett Duncan have been in the Valley for quite some time. Arnett himself is a fourth-generation farmer. And they started their operations out in the West Valley in the 80s. So it was it, early 80s is when Arnett started farming out there. The farm that we're currently on, that started around 88, and they had an agricultural um like educational tourism. And facility. I remember it because yeah. I used to go out there. It was awesome. Well, you remember the big baby yes. on I-10? Uh-huh. That, that was us. So that was kind of, that was back when, you know, we were out in the boondocks. The city has is, is definitely reached its tentacles out yep. and is up next to us now. But that was kind of the marker. You know, people knew. And we always kind of used that as the marker is like, okay, we're, we're now on our way to L.A., the big baby. Yes. <laughs> it was neat. And that's how they started agritourism. And if you thought of agritourism here in Arizona, or direct market, you thought of the Duncans. But then there was a shift. There was a shift. Um, So in 2000, uh, 2001, I mean, we started really seeing the um, residential encroachment happening in the West Valley, and Luke Air Force Base is out positioned right next to us. So there was the northern encroachment coming in on the base tied with the events of September 11th, and there was obviously increased security. Um, they had shifted their flight patterns, and that put us in a flight crash zone. So unfortunately, we weren't able to continue that part of our operation. But, you know, Arnett is a very progressive, innovative man. And, you know, you, you don't sit there and look at a door that's closed behind you. You look at the, the new doors that are open in front of you. And he broke off into doing what we're doing today, which is baby tenderleaf. Baby tenderleaf organic. And yep. if I understand part of the story right, 
he had all of this bales and bales of straw and and he was thinking you know we can compost this and the wheels of innovation just kept churning in his brain correct absolutely um and i i think that you know really kind of looking back when they started that agritourism facility they they were they recognized that people were disconnected from their food they were like we're dealing with the first generation that doesn't know where their food comes from Correct. we want to we want to educate them the bales of hay is a funny story that was they used that as seeding and um, and so when the kids would come through and they were they would do presentations or talk they would sit on bales of hay or when they had the um, like their their festivals and so it was a very wet year and they had to keep turning these bales of hay because they were getting stinky they were sprouting and doing all of that too funny and at the end of the year you know Arnett kind of just shoved it off into a pile and um, that summer he was like let's just throw it on the field they had a you pick field and so nature happens nature, nature happens. happens and he noticed he noticed this huge you know difference in the quality of the product that came up and that was really his inspiration yeah yeah Yeah. and then today we have Duncan Family Farms one of one of the largest organic farms actually in the nation correct and he's got locations now too also in California and back east correct correct so we are considered one of probably in the top three depending upon time of year largest growers of organic baby tender leaf so the baby tender leaf yeah so the, the components that you're seeing in blended salad mixes that are in retail so in the clamshells or the bags um, and we have got our operations are in upstate New York we're in southern Oregon we're in the central coast of California, and then our corporate offices are here in Goodyear. And then you've been with them nine years, but what what's your role with Duncan Family Farms? Currently, my role is community relations um, and marketing manager. I, I started out to um, to launch a a branded program and to distribute locally. And what we found, this was really when the organics were starting to take off and going into the retail sector. And we found that our product was moving out all over. Um, And so we did that. Uh, We just really pulled that program in about a year and a half ago. And that was due to our expansion efforts. I mean, we weren't expecting to expand as quick as we were. But um, you know what? When you've got that opportunity, you jump on it. So, right. And it was part of our plan to do that because we really wanted to position ourselves. Our product gets distributed across the United States, into Canada, and sometimes into the U.K. And so what we really wanted to do for our U.S. customers was be able to at least part of the year supply that product closer to them and not always shipping from the West Coast clear across to the East Coast. And she's a fully embedded farmer, even though that's not her background. No, <laughs> You might not be out there in the fields, but Patty's, her own personal story is pretty cool, too, because she's what I would classify as a foodie. I'm thinking this young woman can cook just about anything. And you've got a great Super Bowl event going on with some of your book book club members. Well, and- not Super Bowl. We're Monday. Oh, so we're, okay, yeah, it's Monday. Monday. But, um, but yeah. Well, can you cook for the Super Bowl, please? It's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll probably be cooking for book club for Monday night. <laughs> yeah, but just some of the things she's done. And it just was a perfect pairing up with the Duncan family. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I couldn't imagine not being where I am. It, I, I just feel extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to work for somebody like Arnett Duncan. And the team that we have is just an incredible team of people. And, you know, just, just 
every day you come to work and it's a challenge and something new is going on. And and I can tr- tell that they treat the entire team as a family. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the things that you have posted on your Duncan family farms is just amazing. And seeing the workers and how engaged they are, it's uh, it's almost like an extended family affair when you're talking about Duncan family farms. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, it certainly that's is. neat. So we have... Um, we have several of our farmers here in the state of Arizona that are leafy greens growers, and they're doing conventional and organic. And, again, that's why we always keep reminding. It's funny. We tell all of our listeners a lot of times, and we're, we're talking one-on-one with people, that Yuma is the, lettuce, the winter lettuce bowl capital of the world. But the reality is there's a lot of leafy greens coming out of Maricopa County, too. Absolutely. And that's from the Duncans, from Russo Farms. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the other farmers. So it, it's we kind of treat it exclusively in the winter, Yuma, but we need to be careful because we don't want to forget about you guys. So what's some of the range of products that you guys are growing right now in the winter season? So currently right now, our focus is on the like lettuces and greens that make up a spring mix blend, baby arugulas, full size, or full size kale, baby kale, spinach, and then we have a whole array of organic uh, culinary herbs that we're growing. And that is distributed under Arizona Specialty Farms labels. So those, um, I know those are found in AJ's and Bash's, and I'm sure that there's several other retailers, but that's primarily where I've seen that brand at. And Romy, you got to know, Duncan Family Farms are Arizona Farm Bureau members. So <laughs> the Duncans have been attached to us forever. A lot of times when we've had some of those real important serious issues, like we've had just recently, for instance, the drought contingency plan, all of that passed, the legislator legislators met their deadline. Well, in the past, uh, the Duncan family, whether it was a water water issue or property rights issues, they were right there shoulder to shoulder with us dealing with some of these issues that are important to our farm and ranch families here in Arizona so we can keep feeding the rest of the world and our local community. And you don't have to be a premier organic farmer to be a member of the Arizona Farm Bureau. Exactly. We, uh, we represent small, medium, large farms. We represent organic. We represent conventional biotech farms aka GMOs. My dad was a biotech cotton farmer. So we represent it all because it's all good and we need it all to, again, feed the local community. And the homeowner can sign up as a associate member for the Arizona Farm Yes. A lot of times we'll have people approach us, how can we help and support the farmers? I said, well, go to the farmer's markets at least weekly because you can pick up some local fresh produce and other specialty food items. I said, but the easiest way to support Arizona's farmers is to become a member of Arizona Farm Bureau, and it's only $59 a year. Yeah, it's kind of a little promo here, but I have a bunch of my friends that are simply members because they know that they're helping support Duncan Family Farms or Jana Anderson's um, Pinnacle Farms. Uh, she's kind of a one-woman shop, very small farmer. but uh, And just again, think through everyone we've had on, the yes. Dan Heisen Dairy. Yeah. Dan's, uh, yeah, yeah, we've... All of the farmers, the range of farmers, sizes of them. And so that's one of the reasons why I love to bring people like Patty. And we've known each other for probably 10 years because I knew you a little bit before at Duncan Family Farms. And the neat thing about all that is I've, I've met and continue to meet some of the most amazing, talented people. And they're all congregated here in the special industry. 
It's the Farm Fresh Hour here at Rosie on the House. Happens the first Saturday of every month in our our outdoor living hour here at 8 o'clock. More with Julie Murphy and Patty of Duncan Family Farms after this. On to our topic today, strawberries. Yes, one of my favorite fruits. And according to the Corporate Extension Office of U of A, the first fruit of the year. Yes. I'm going to trust you on that one because <laughs> that was a piece of trivia that you knew that I didn't know. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm trusting the corporate extension office. <laughs> yeah, here. I am too. I, I lean on them very heavily. Thank you, U of A. <laughs> I think and, they're a pretty trustworthy source. Yes, they are. And they put together a great uh, document that we have on rosieonthehouse.com. If you just search strawberries, uh, you can find it there. And it's really a, a great guideline. There's a lot of things in that I didn't know about strawberries and the disease that they're prone to. And, you know, there's certain crops you don't want to plant strawberries in that same field if you had planted these other ones ahead of that. And we'll get into it. But from the time that y'all have spent growing strawberries, it was a, a very unique story about uh, the niche y'all were trying to fill. Mm-hmm. So um, our foray into strawberries started several years ago. I want to say probably four years ago. And we were approached to fill a time in the market where production went out of the, out of the U.S. So you had no domestic berries really being grown. And, the, and so that was from November through February. And so we put in a trial, and we had success growing it, and so we, we ramped up our acreage on it and, and produced a beautiful crop. And I can vouch for it because they were so tasty, so sweet, and nice and plump. Yeah, they were great. They were great. Our customers loved them. We were shipping them you know, within the state quite profusely, but then also we were shipping outside of the state to the East Coast and to the Midwest and up and down the West Coast. So it was, it was successful in that regard. Where we ran into some challenges was um, we just could not get the crop to come off soon enough. And when you're when you're growing, it's an expensive crop to grow. And as a farmer, you have to look at, you know, what does it cost you to do this and, and what is your return on it? And we figured that if we could grab the window from November through February. If they came off early correct, enough. Correct. Then um, it would be great. And we really tried to do that. We just really were challenged in getting the berries off. It was it was more towards Christmas when we were getting them off. So we lost that portion of the market where you were able to capture really decent margins on it. Because once you hit February, then domestic production kicks back in, market pricing drops, and now all of a sudden you're selling you're selling your product for less than what it's costing you to grow it. You're selling so, at a loss. Yeah. So, you know, you need the front end. You need that running start to make up for the back end of the season. And we just, you know, just due to our, our temperature and our weather here, we weren't able to make that that work. And so it just was not a profitable venture for us. But it's also proof that Arizona can grow some amazing strawberries. And we have had some of our other direct market farmers, when I say direct market farmers, some of the smaller farmers that have grown. I know uh, Blue Sky Farms grew them, too. But they're not as much of the commodity as you and I, the consumer, would love them to be 
because of the market conditions. So um, we might have to lean on our backyard gardeners to keep growing the strawberries, yeah. right? Well, and you know, I mean, and and you, we do have our small farms that are doing the direct market stuff that are growing them. I, I know Blue Sky has got strawberries in right now. Oh, they're good. great. Okay, they're so really they're... good. Yeah. So you know, you can get those at the farmers market where they're at. He's got a store that go is... on to fill your plate, and you can yep. search and find out where Blue Sky Market. Yep. And he's Dirt got them, and his, his berries are, are really good, too. So Good. Absolutely. Good. And when you're talking it wasn't a profitable venture, you, you'd said it's really the there, – there's no combine to go pick strawberries. You've got to get out there by hand and pick all these little tiny – You know, as you know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, agriculture really is looking at technology because it's, it's you know, it, labor is a huge challenge for us. And especially when you're in areas where you don't have access to, to pool that labor. When we were doing our strawberries, we had to depend upon H2A labor to come in and harvest that crop for us, which, you know, that's, that's also, you know, an extra added cost to do that. But, um, but you know, they're looking at mechanized robots going in now that they, they can determine the ripeness of that berry and pick it and go through and do that. So it's just interesting to see what technology is coming and doing. Right. And we'll always advance in agriculture as a eyewitness to that. If the technology is available, people also have to realize that sometimes until the price point and the technology, because a lot of times it's extremely expensive, yeah can be the thing that's prohibiting farmers from adopting it right if away. If the machinery equipment right. uh, takes you 20 years to pay off but only lasts 10 years. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you're not going to invest in that. <laughs> we always have to remember that Duncan Family Farms, I'm going to mention her again because I just thought of her earlier, Jana Anderson with Pinnacle Farms, small direct market farmers. She also does Ancient Grows grains they are a business they have to at least have and we always talk about the slim profit margin a lot of times in farming but they have to be making money in order for them to be staying in business it's that very important word we call sustainability absolutely so and when you're talking about making money as a consumer we're always worried about uh, focused on saving money right and that comes to price shopping at the grocery store and well are you going to buy it because it's too exactly. much or not enough or you know, our, our decisions as we're checking out or the, filling our shopping carts. The neat thing about uh, Duncan's when they were doing strawberries is I could access them in the grocery store. I didn't have to go to exclusively the farmer's market. So, But, hey, we've got to uh, protect our farmers and make sure that they are growing crops that can at least be sustainable for them. And um, that's what's so exciting, too, about some of the things that farmers will – investigate and pencil out and see if it works. If it works as a crop, they'll grow it. Absolutely. And if you're planning on growing your own strawberries, one plant produces about one pound. So calculate your uh, strawberry consumption for the year and plan accordingly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take you down cause I'm going to strawberry For a prosperous strawberry field, you do not want to plant strawberries after the area or ground has been used to grow eggplant, peppers, potatoes, tomatoes, which surprised me because tomatoes are a fruit too. And pretty soon after you get your strawberry, you should start seeing tomatoes, uh, blackberries, raspberries, or other strawberries. Romy. You need to be growing your own straw strawberries in your little garden that you guys have, right? You know, and 
we we have the right type of garden for it. Uh, this is a deeper root crop. Strawberries like at least 12 inches of roots, and they like to be drained, so that would be a much better raised crop garden there you go. than a ground crop garden. Because I don't know about you, when was the last time you dug 12 inches into the ground? <laughs> since I left the farm. <laughs> I haven't since I left the farm. And you would need some heavy equipment to do that on a big tractor commercial basis. A lot of the discs only disc to 6 inches to go to the size of tractor that you would need to disc to 12 inches to get it turned up. That's a, that's a serious tractor. See, that is. That back is. to your expense. Yeah, see how he really engages in those very important numbers? That's right. <laughs> we, we can adopt you two into the farming community. In a sense, Romy, we already have. By the way, um, I just got a text from my president, Arizona Farm Bureau President Stephanie Smallhouse, and she reminded me that the Mortimer Family Farms also does you pick. And I'm thinking she may be indicating they're doing strawberries. So, Sharla, uh, if you're listening, send me a text and confirm that because we're trying to find all the places that are doing strawberries. In the 8 o'clock hour for the northern Arizona, Dewey, Prescott, Humboldt area, you can catch Rosie on the house on 780-K-A-Z-M, uh, 1130 and 99.1 or 99.9. KQ&A picks us up at 9 o'clock. Oh, awesome. Um, or you can uh, Calf Country, 9.30 a.m. gets down that far south as well. So there's a couple different stations that she could be listening on in the area. And people, it's been Mortimer's, I don't know, a decade now? I think so. Longtime residents would know that as Young's Farm. And still to this day, people don't realize that was the old Young's, Young's farm, farm, now Mortimer's family yeah. farm. And thanks for sharing some of those other stations because we're all over. Arizona Farm Bureau's all over, and we've got a lot of counties that and farmers that want to plug into your show in the morning. And unlike other crops, strawberries aren't uh, aren't a plant harvest type. Uh, the first year, you really, they say not to expect a good crop. It's uh-huh. the second or third year, and you can get about four years out of a good uh, good strawberry plant. So they're not uh, they're not like a lot of our other uh, vegetables and fruits that uh, you plant and harvest and then tear out and plant the next thing. Yep, it takes a couple years to get them going, and uh, they last a couple years. Now we had pretty big significant week for Arizona water. We did and uh, it all passed thanks to our legislature and a lot of stakeholders within the drought contingency plan um, steering committee and it's such a complicated issue. I'm going to read you a real quick paragraph that Chelsea McGuire our director of government relations put together. So what uh, did we actually agree to in the legislature? Farmers are the lowest priority users of Arizona's Colorado River allotment. And I, there's a story behind that, too. Part of it sometimes I think we maybe don't negotiate that well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Agricultural districts in Pinal County were set to absorb the uh, major cut and the DCP-mandated cuts. And then th- thanks to a summer-long stakeholder process, agreements were made to identify 595,000 acre-feet of water delivered over the next six years to mitigate the losses in Pinal County. The reality of it is, though, but just over 300,000 acre feet of that water is what we call wet water. That means water that you actually can turn on the spigot and receive. We know we have 595,000 acre feet out there, but it's only about 300,000 acre feet that we can actually use right now. The rest is groundwater. But to access that groundwater, irrigation districts will need to install about $50 million of new and improved well infrastructure. So what happened in the legislature and what passed in the governor's sign, thank you, Governor Ducey, 
is our ability in Pinal County, especially, to start building some more wells. We have been doing this for over a decade. They've already invested, if I remember the number right, my farmers will correct me if I've got it wrong. They've already, in the irrigation districts, invested about $18 million. But because of the drought and a quicker potential call on the river, it's sped the process up because, see, the irrigation districts in Pinal County were committing themselves to making these improvements on the wells or, or drilling new ones, but at a pace that was appropriate for the investment that they could afford. This legislation helps us move that faster because the drought has become more severe. You know, one thing I have to say, as I went to the committee hearings, and a lot of times legislators were saying, well, why, you know, your investors, your business people, why don't you take out a loan on a well? Well, the farmers no longer own the wells in Pinal County. The irrigation districts do. And one well, one brand new well, costs nearly a million dollars, 800000 And again, it goes back to that business investment. How do you manage? How do you handle that? So the farmers can't really afford it on their own. I know you know John Hart. Yes. And if I... He's on our board. He's a and, he's a rock and he's star the president farmer of the uh, of Cochise the, County. Yes, Is Cochise County. The county. He farms down on the Kansas settlement south of Wilcox, and he's got uh, you know one of those circle crops, and you've got the spigot in the middle. You know, in, if you've flown over coming into Sky Harbor and you've ever come up from Tucson around Coolidge and Florence, I mean, you can see the circle crops everywhere. I'm, the correct term is escaping me. And now I'm going blank on it just because you said you couldn't remember it. John Hart, text me right now. Uh, there's plenty that are, are well, standing by. Okay, so it was 800000 to drill one? To drill one well. I, I, I should probably Around ask him. Around <laughs> uh, For permission before I say this, you know what his electric bill to run that pump for a month is? I would love to hear. Throw a guess. Anybody. And he can, by the way, the other thing with John Hart and most of the farmers, uh, pivot, pivot, irrigation. Pivot, there you pivot go. And, <laughs> and it reduces water use. It's another one of those technological efficiency improvements. But he can check everything on his phone because he's got an app, and he can turn off one pivot and turn the other one on. But I have no idea. I know it's a lot. Gary looks Is like he, he wants using to give wind? Is no, he no. Using... no. APS. AP... APS. Electric pumps pump the water out, enough pressure to get it. All the way out the pivot, and this is for twenty thousand dollars a month. What? Wow! Yeah. Wow! <laughs> wow! And if if people want to read this whole story about what we do in our counties and how we farm, sometimes it makes me wonder how we make money farming with all of the <laughs> overhead expenses that we have. That's, but that's one pivot. He has three. That, yeah, he has three, <laughs> and wow. he's turning them on and off. So and you're starting. Beginning yeah. of the month, knowing you've $60,000 in the hole just to operate your watering system. Exactly. And so it's pretty intimidating. That's why they have to be as business-focused as they are. Some of the greatest business minds I know, and I know I'm completely biased, but some of the greatest business minds I know are coming out of agriculture. But if you go to our blog on azfb.org and you hit, it's in the upper right, it says blog. I wrote a story, that, I, and I kind of ended it by saying we come full circle because when I was a kid, we'd a little snot-nosed kid, I'd hop in the <laughs> truck with dad, and that was our morning and evening routine. We'd go to each one of those wells, check the pump, and we'd check the drop oil. It had to be dropping this oil at a certain pace like every second. So literally, dad would teach us to count those because if it's not dropping at the appropriate pace and speed, then your engine's going to fry and 
And that's a no-no, especially in the summer, to have a well go down. So anyway, and now we're going back to wells, even though we were so excited in Pinal County to get the CAP water. But go and read that story, and you'll learn a little bit more about the pain and challenges of farming in the desert. We need to farm in the desert because we need to feed ourselves, but it's and important. And when you look at what's happening in the Midwest in the winter vortex, where there isn't anything growing out there. In fact, I'm sure yeah. they're having huge challenges trying to keep a lot of their livestock alive through this type of weather. Uh, you really see the need for farming in climates like Arizona where we're, I wouldn't say bulletproof to those types right. of uh, situations. We have our fair share of hail damage and other things that we can face, but we don't have 10 feet no. of snow. <laughs> and no, I don't, don't, I love local. I celebrate local. I promote it all the time, especially through our fill your plate. But don't tell me to deny, to deny my family, my relatives in the Midwest and the East that want to eat my leafy greens that I get to eat year round. And that's thanks to the Duncan family farms and them growing winter leafy greens and Yuma growing winter leafy greens. So my relatives in the Midwest want those too. And you have a split water system. We do. So we, um, in the winter season when we're growing edible crops, we, we do well water. And we do that because of food safety. So food safety, farm worker safety trumps everything on our, on our farm. And so what that does is it allows us to test the water because we're going through, we're doing soil samples, tissue samples on the product before harvest, water, water samples. All of that has to be cleared before we can harvest a crop and send that out to our customers. So if we do have an issue, we can isolate that issue with that well, treat that well, and it doesn't put the entire, you know, the entire acreage at risk. They're uh, regularly testing water, and that's one of the keys for the food safety programs that you see throughout, especially Arizona. We're considered a premier, you know, developer thanks to the leafy green agreements through California and Arizona, and they have these, you know, um, scheduled audits and I can't think of the word, but unknown audits where third parties will come up and test your water to make sure that it's where it's supposed to be in order to ensure that food safety. All right, so we've got another set of Arizona State Park passes to give away if you'd like to get out and explore Arizona, one of Arizona's great 35 state parks. How deep is the ideal uh, soil for strawberry roots? How deep do you want to till? If you know that answer, you can text it to 411923. How many inches of depth should your soil be prepped for strawberries? If, uh, all right answers between now and the next programming segment. We'll just pick a correct random winner. Send you his tickets, and you'll be on your way to one of 35 great Arizona State Parks. Welcome back to Rosie on the House in our Farm Fresh Hour with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau. I'm Patty Emmerich. Of Duncan Family Farms, talking strawberries. Yeah, and uh, on Mortimer Farms, they uh, do their berry bash during the summer, so it's July through September. Which yes. makes sense, because they're up north. Thank you for that piece of information, Gary. According to the Corporate Extension Office publication, in areas above 3,000 feet, a spring planting is ideal between March 15th and May 15th, below which Mortimer's is. Yes. So then below 3,000 feet, fall planting is between September 15th 
and November 15th. And this isn't a plant they say you really want to try from seed. Just go get the starter plants from the nursery. A couple of bucks a piece, I would imagine, at, at most. And strawberries, they have what they produce as runners, where the stems will grow back down into the soil, create a new one. And the crop will, you know, one plant could then become three, four, five, and so on and so forth. And you've got to manage that and thin it. If you, you can let it go, but then your strawberries will be smaller. If you manage that growth, you can get bigger strawberries. And then what you can do with that plant material is compost it. And Duncan Family Farms has a very unique composting program. We do. So we talked a little bit about that at the at the front of the show, and um, so we currently partner up with with local municipalities. We partner up with dairies. We partner up with golf courses, and even individuals can bring their green waste into our facility out in the West Valley and drop it off. There is a nominal fee for that. It's much cheaper than going into the local landfill. But what we're doing is we're diverting with our composting operation in Goodyear anywhere from about 7,500 to 8,000 tons annually of green waste out of our, our landfills going in to grow organic vegetables. So it's a pretty cool program. Yeah. And we'll have that cool. address listed on our archive page for and as well as our strawberry resource page. And it is there any limitation? I know that uh, the city of Phoenix and their landfills and their recycling, they do accept a lot of green waste material. The problem plant still to this day is uh fronds palm yeah. fronds yeah um that that is a challenge we do have a um a chipper out there that basically grinds everything up but um the palm fronds is something that i don't think they're taking and i don't know if they're taking oleanders that's something i would have to double check on as well um j but don't quote me on that I'd, I'd have to find that out so which is likely those are our problem plants yeah. for for composting but any of your native uh, mesquites polarities ironwoods any of the elms uh just wh whatever your green garden waste is lawn clippings lawn clippings absolutely yep fill up the bed of your truck and go dump it off that's right that's right <laughs> and you can contribute to arizona agriculture by doing it <laughs> And to again to become a Farm Bureau member, it's fifty nine dollars a month, and you can go online and, or not a month. I always say that a year, year. fifty nine <laughs> bucks. If you're a non Aggie, agriculture members have to pay more, but you can literally go online and pay for that membership. And it also comes with a number of different uh, coupons. That yes, Sanderson um, Ford. You can get it. I think it's an additional five hundred dollars off if you're a Farm Bureau member. Right of purchases. We have over 200 member benefits, and a lot of those are local. So you'd want to go to our website, click the link called Benefits, and you'll see the whole list. Some of them are statewide, and then some of them are specific to the county that you live in. So, azfb.org, and you can Correct. also go to fillyourplate.org. Now comes the moment of truth. This is where we get graded on how we did this hour. Oh, okay. we got Farm Bureau President Stephanie Smallhouse on the line to uh, wrap up our Farm Fresh Hour. So, Stephanie, was it an A or a B? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's been a great show this morning, like always, Romy. Hello, Julie and Patty. Hello. Um, Hello. Always, always good information, and I love strawberries, so it's a good thing to know about. But you guys have been talking about membership, which is great, and um, talked a little bit about the drought contingency plan. But I just kind of wanted to throw something out there to all your listeners that, you know, really, if, if you want to be a part of keeping Arizona food and fiber sustainable, 
uh, being a part of Arizona Farm Bureau is a great way to do it. You know that we, we bring our organic farmers here on the radio. We bring our traditional, small, large. We represent everybody. And uh, we, we're trying to keep food inexpensive. We're trying to keep it abundant and sustainable. And, and we just got a farm bill passed. That's coming. We're working on trade. And the drought contingency plan was a big deal for, for Arizona's farmers. And by working on these things and being successful, we are ensuring that inexpensive, abundant, and affordable, sustainable food for Arizonans. So please become a member and, and check us out on the, on the web. And you mentioned all the different types of farms, big, small, it, uh, organic, GMO. It, it takes a combination of all of those to be successful. There's it no really one good solution for farming. It takes all different forms. And we have some of our farmers, because they're so good at farming, ranchers that are so good at ranching, they do both. They'll do both organic and conventional. It's a method of farming. There's some particular uh, practices, and I believe Duncan Family Farms is USDA certified organic. We are. Yeah. We are USDA certified, um, and we, we've grown conventional in the past, and we, we echo that sentiment that you it, it's going to take everything. It's going to take small, large, medium. It's going to take conventional, organic, you name it. Um, we're, we need all of it to feed our increasing population, so... We were and we were talking earlier about the state of Arizona and just you know throwing a throwing a hand out to all of our ag members out there that our state is diverse. We've got yes. a lot growing here. So the more we can consume local, the better. Julie, Patty, thank you. Steph, thanks for wrapping up the hour for us. Thank you. Thank you.